kids can see who they are making cards to. Were they able to bring the fire truck or no? They were even planning on bringing a fire truck. So we really want the kids to know that who they're helping is real people, not just uh, to make them feel good about themselves, but that we really do appreciate our nurses, our, our firefighters, our police officers, our school teachers, uh, lots of different groups of people that we make gifts for, and just tell them thank you for all that you have done uh, for us. And so Ezra chapter 4, and as I was just telling uh, Wayne and Patty, it has been a long time since we've been together for Bible study. We took off the last Wednesday in, in November for Thanksgiving. And then we had our special night of prayer, which I want to thank you. I believe there was almost maybe close to 75, 80 people that night, maybe out there, maybe a few more at the fairgrounds. And then we prayed for the one starry night. And then uh, the week after that, we had a, another special night of prayer uh, just for the church and for the end of the year. And then we had uh, a couple of Sundays and Wednesdays off for Christmas. And I appreciate that. Uh, I know that it might not seem like necessary, but uh, when you prepare for sermons Wednesday night, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Sunday school, uh, it just it's nice to have a, a small break. And so I want to thank you for that. Uh, and then we last Wednesday night we had a cleaning night. And the reason we had a cleaning night was the ladies' Bible study, which was starting tonight, uh, they just got the material, and it wasn't going to be here in time. And so we wanted to wait and all start together. And so we're back in Ezra chapter 4. And uh, just a quick recap. In chapters 1 through 3, uh, about nine years, give or take, has passed. And the Jewish people have been allowed to come back to Jerusalem. They've been told that they're going to rebuild the temple. And they have been given uh, permission. And we looked in chapter 3 last time about how the people who, there in verses 11 to the end of the chapter, who were watching the temple be rebuilt, were some of them were weeping, and some of them were shouting for joy. And we talked about how the people who were too young to remember the first temple were so excited because all that God had done. But the people who remembered how good it used to be were in tears because they saw this little bitty temple compared to the Solomon's temple. They saw a temple that was very modest and very simple compared to the glory of Solomon's temple, which had gold and it had just all of these things. But really, we looked at last time, the thing that separated the two temples the most was the presence of God resided in the old temple with the Ark of the Covenant. And the new temple, well, there was missing that presence of God. And so even though we know that God is everywhere, in the Old Testament, He specifically said that He was going to reside in the holiest of holies, right? And so uh, that's where we're at in chapter 4. And so if you are thinking about this, this nation of Israel is moving in the right direction. God is blessing. God is working. If you are thinking how this is going to go, you're thinking everything is going well. And tonight, if I was titling this uh, lesson, it would be Overcoming Adversary. Because so many times in our life, we are that way probably, right? God is blessing. Things are going well at home. Things are going well at work. It seems things, things seem to be moving in the right direction. And if you are aware, usually what happens? Right when you think you've all got it figured out, pothole, right? 
You know, something happens. You get that call that someone in your family has got cancer. You get that call from your boss that says, we're going to have to lay you off. You get that call from uh, someone at church that, for, so for me, it's, it's a lot of times, pray for our family or our marriage is struggling. Pray for us. My child has just told me they're an atheist. It's those moments that the wind is just taken out of your sail. And in chapter 4, that's really what happens. And so tonight I want to show you how opposition comes. And how opposition will come in your life. How opposition will come in your marriage. How opposition will come at church. And so starting in verse 1, the Bible says, Now when the adversaries, adversaries, excuse me, of Judah and Benjamin heard that the descendants of the captivity were building the temple of the Lord God of Israel. They came to Zerubbabel and the heads of the houses and said to them, let us build with you, for we seek your God as you do. And having sacrificed to him since the days of Eshardah, king of Assyria, who brought us here. Now you say, Jake, what is the problem with that? Well, I want to show you how opposition starts. Many times, opposition will join you. It will come in the appearance of friendship. You say, well, Jake, I don't understand what the problem is. I want to read you the note that my MacArthur Bible states about this group of people who came to help them. This false claim represented the worship of the Samaritans whose ancestry came from the intermarriage with foreign immigrants in Samaria in 722 B.C. Uh, a consequent settlement of Babylonian colonists took their place and co-married with remaining Jewish women and their descendants. And the result was a race called the Samaritans. And they developed superstitious form of worshiping God. So what happened is when the Jews were carried out away, uh, the best and the brightest were taken with them. And what happened is the enemy king brought in people from their country and put them in those houses that had been built and gave their wives and other women to them. And so they were forced to marry these individuals and have children. And so what happens from that is a group of people who are pagan, who have intermarried. And so you have the, the pagan worship of the Babylonians or the Assyrians. And you have the Jewish people. And what happened is, and you can read about this in Jesus uh, talking to the Samaritan woman at the well, that their worship had become twisted and mixed and, and it was something that wasn't honoring to God. And so this group of people who are pagans in all of the sense come and say, let us help. And the Jewish leaders realize something, that they've already gotten trouble for this once. They've gotten trouble for not conquering the land. They've gotten in trouble for allowing false idols and worship to come into the Jewish religion. And so we see here that many times opposition comes in the form of friendship. Now I want you to just think about this in your own walk with the Lord in your own life. How many times have you allowed someone to get close to you in your life? Maybe it was a friendship. Maybe it was a co-worker. Maybe it was even a spouse. And later on you realized... They're no friend to me. They're not trustworthy. They don't care about you. They harm you. And things don't work out the way that you thought they would. 
that opposition came in the form of a friendship. And it's like that in church. Many times there are people, and I want to just speak to two groups of people who cause trouble in church. <laughs> the first group are people who genuinely don't love the Lord and do not care what the church thinks. All right? They have their own agenda, they have their own purpose, and they have their own plans. All right? Those are wolves in sheep's clothing. But there are another group of people that cause trouble in church that are not necessarily wolves in sheep's clothing. They're just stubborn. And they just want to get their way. And most people, I believe, fit into the second category. Most people don't wake up one morning and say, I would love to split and destroy the church that I'm in. I would love to run off the pastor and his family. I would love to make half of the people that go to church with me angry and leave. That's not how most people function. But what happens is many times I want what I want. And I don't think about the consequences of that until it's what? Too late. And so, but in this case, it wasn't that. They would have been the first. They would have been the sheeps in wolves' clothing. And so tonight I wanted to just slow down for a second. And I want to remind us that we need to extend grace to people who cause problems. You say, well, Jake, that's not what the Bible says. Well, the Bible says if they cause problems to you, you're supposed to do what? You're supposed to go to them privately. That doesn't mean you come to me. It doesn't mean you go to the deacons. It means if I offend Wayne, I am supposed to go to Wayne. Just one-on-one -on -one and say, hey, I don't think you meant it. I don't know if you did or not, but hey, it bothered me. And the same for him to me. And so that's why the Bible says. And if the Bible talks about this over and over again. And so I think that we need to extend grace to people who sometimes make stubborn decisions Make decisions that are about what they want. And remember that most people do not have a desire to destroy the church. Most people just become prideful in the decisions that you, they make. But I want to take you to a few verses in the Bible tonight. And I want you to write this down. Because this group of people would have been the leaders of this area. They would have been the people that were left when everyone else was gone. And as you probably know... And you've seen in the real world, anytime there is a power vacuum, someone what? Steps in. You've seen it in Afghanistan with the United States abandoning, I believe, that country, making a terrible mistake. And, uh, and if you'd like for me to tell you more about what I think about that and the man that made that decision, I would love to tell you. Not here. But uh, uh, and, and what happened? A group filled the void. A terrible group. A group of people that will murder women for going to school. <laughs> a group of people that will murder you from, for, for having just normal freedoms that we in America enjoy. And so that is the vacuum that was filled. And so this group of people would have been the group of people that filled that vacuum of power when the king of Israel was gone. And so I want to just show you some Bible verses as we go through about people in power and people in authority and how you must be careful toward them. In Ezekiel, the 13th chapter, verse 9, talking about prophets, where you could uh, talk about pastors or people who handle the word of God. In verse 9, it says, My hand will be against the prophets who see false visions and utter lying divinations. 
they will not belong to the council of my people or be listed in the records of Israel, nor will they enter the land of Israel. Then you will know that I am the sovereign Lord. In Deuteronomy 18.20, if you want to write these down. But a prophet who presumes to speak in my name anything I have not commanded or a prophet who speaks in the name of other gods is to be put to death. And so God takes leading people proclaiming the word of God very serious. I have had the privilege of pastoring, pastoring now here for 10 years. And I can tell you that every problem the church has is not always the people. Sometimes it's the pastor. Sometimes it's not just the people. Sometimes it's people in the community. Sometimes it's multiple things. But tonight I want you to know that the number one way that the enemy will try to cause you to quit is by joining up with you. And uh, I've seen it look like this in church. It's called flattery. Have you ever known someone was just sucking up to you because they wanted something? It happens. It happens at work. It happens at church. It happens in families. And that's what's going on here tonight. And so just be very careful that as you are serving God, and be very careful as you and your marriage and your wife are really seeking the Lord, to be cautious to the people who try to enter your life who try to enter into the relationships that are most valuable to you. Because opposition comes first with a smiling face. Uh, thoughts, questions, disagreements. Well, the second way I want to show you tonight that opposition comes is through distractions. Sometimes it comes through the smiles of wanting to join, and other times it comes through distraction and taking your focus where it shouldn't be. Starting in verse 3, it says, But Zerubbabel and Jeshua and the rest of the heads of the fathers' houses of Israel said to them, You may do nothing with us to build a house for our Lord, but we alone will build to the Lord God of Israel. And King Cyrus, the king of Persia, has commanded us. Now, they give them an answer. He says, no, we appreciate that, but you can't help. And they even get legal. And they say, the king sent us. If he wanted you to build it, he'd have sent you the instructions. But he sent them with us. You've been here 70 years, give or take. If he wanted you to build it, you would have built it. And so I want you to see that, that the children of Israel understood their purpose. All right. The Bible talks about where there is no vision, the people will perish. But here, the people knew their vision. And so many times you can know what you believe. You can know what is right. You can know what God wants you to do. But yet you can still be led astray. Look here in verses 3, which we just read in verse 4. Then the people of the land tried to discourage the people of Judah. They troubled them in building. And so they tried to discourage them. They tried to distract them. They tried to get them to focus on something else from building the temple. And so I want to uh, just read a couple more verses to you from the Bible about being led astray or false teachers or prophets. 
In Luke chapter 6, verse 26, Woe to you when everyone speaks well of you, for that is how their ancestors treated the false prophets. Sometimes distraction comes through praise. Oh, you do such a good job. Oh, you are such a gifted person. What would they do without you? And what happens is your head begins to swell. And you say, well, you know what? I would spend a whole lot of time in prayer, but this is just for me speaking, okay? I know I need to pray, but man, there are so many people in the hospital and, and you know, no one's going to pat me on the back if I'm just praying in my closet. But if I'm there visiting or I'm there checking on them, this, I just can't imagine the people that are going to be so happy and thankful I'm there. And, and, and what happens? It becomes a distraction. Or how about this? Well, pastor, which I don't hear this, but your sermons are so good. I tell you, they're, they're so amazing. They're, they're so wonderful. I, can't, I don't know where you get them from. And they're just so amazing. And, and then you begin to think, well, maybe I don't need to pray as much. Or I don't need to study as much, right? Or, or even some pastors, which is becoming very common, just find them on the Internet and print them out. I was just telling Wayne and Patty, I had a lady tell me one time, and you've all heard this story probably, but she said, Pastor, you know how I know you don't get your sermons off the Internet? I said, no, how do you know that? She said, because no one else preaches as bad as you do. Right? You couldn't find that on the internet. So, but, uh, but I'm not saying we don't borrow from other preachers. If you've heard me preach, you've heard me quote Adrian Rogers a thousand times and John MacArthur and W.A. Griswell, people who I respect and cherish their thoughts. But when everyone speaks well of you, you say, well, Jake, doesn't the Bible say that we want a good name? And that we want a good reputation so that when someone makes accusations against us that it doesn't stick. You're absolutely right. But be careful when everyone speaks well of you. You see, there ought to be people who disagree with you on your beliefs. We're living in a day and age where if you agree with the world on gender, you have abandoned God. If you and the world agree on marriage, you have abandoned God. If you and I have uh, disagree or agree with the world on what Sunday should look like, you have abandoned God. You see, there are people who should have a problem with you. It shouldn't be because you're a liar or a thief or a crook, but because who you belong to and who you represent and who you speak for is hated by them. Jesus literally said, they hated me first. They persecuted me first and they will do what? Skip you, right? No, no, didn't it? And they will persecute you. Uh, here's what the Bible says in 2 Timothy, the fourth chapter, verses 3 and 4. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say that which their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. And so we see here that not only will people falsely praise you, they will surround themselves with teachers who will tell them what they want to hear. It should not surprise us. And this is, you know, if I get in trouble for this, it's so be it. It's Wednesday night. It happens. Um, we should not be surprised when liberal groups of churches or legalistic group of churches begin to hire pastors that only speak in agreement with them. 
Now, I believe that the Bible teaches us that there is a foundational core of beliefs. For us as Baptists, we call it the Baptist Faith and Message. It's a document that holds those main beliefs, what we believe. And that's what we believe. Now, we can disagree on little things. We can disagree on some of the other things. But those things, there is no disagreement. Because we believe what the Bible teaches. Things like who Jesus is. Who the Holy Spirit is. Who the Father is. God's plan of salvation through grace by faith alone. There are things like that that cannot compromise. But you wait. When a denomination embraces things like homosexual marriage... You wait, very shortly after that, they will not be hiring pastors that preach that homosexuality is sin. They will be hiring who? Someone with a clerical robe on backwards. Someone that's on MSNBC with a black robe and a rainbow colored, uh, uh, what's that thing called? Sash or I don't even know what it's technically called. Looks like a robe. And you will see that because then it will be gender. Churches that want to embrace gender identity and changing the Word of God will then begin to what? Look for pastors that not only embrace it, but live it out. And so what we see here is Satan will not only use people to join us, but he will use people to distract us. And sometimes it doesn't have to be sinful things. Sometimes it can just be good things that replace the God thing. Well, I know we should have a prayer meeting at church, but we're just too busy. That's why we took time over December and November and prayed specifically. Why? Because God's house is to be called a house of prayer. And so God's people should be praying. Right? We are to be worshiping God. And so worshiping God is important. We're to be teaching the Word of God. And so while some churches have abandoned things like Bible study, prayer meeting, worship service, missions, giving to replace with entertainment, we must not. We must not be distracted because look what it says there in verse 4. Then the people of the land tried to discourage the people of Judah. They troubled them in building. And so we see that they joined them. We see that they have distracted them. Any thoughts? Have you ever been distracted by good things instead of God things? Excuse me. I think it was specific, but the way you're describing this makes me think of Eddie Haskell from uh, Lisa Beaver. It's probably, you know. Before my time. Yeah. Oh, that mean you can't watch every one. I don't watch any television, so I had but to. I mean, you'd always come with flattery and have an ulterior motive. And, Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And so we see that. And so just be very careful to not only allow people to get close to you that are, are not loving God, but be careful for the distractions, whether it is positive or negative. Because I want to show you the third and final way tonight as I try to finish earlier than usually dragging on for an hour is in verse 5. And hired counselors against them to frustrate their purposes all the days of Cyrus, king of Persia, until the reign of Darius, king of Persia. So what happens is when they're not able to slow down the work, they decide to get involved legally. They decide to send recommendations to the king. And I don't know if you've ever noticed that or not, but that mindset has not changed. There's a reason that Christian makers 
Supreme Court of the United States for not making a cake for a homosexual couple. There's a reason that churches have to go to court even though we're not to sue each other. I don't believe it's wrong to, to defend yourself against false accusations from the world when it comes to the ability to meet. And so churches are trying to be forced to have to provide certain health coverages for their employees that are unbiblical. Right? If one of our employees came up in many of the liberal denominations and said, well, I'm a man today, but I think God wants me to be a woman. Uh, we would tell them that's sinful, it's wrong, and you are no longer an employee here. But yet, there are many states, and I will name them to you tonight, New York, California, Washington, uh, those liberal states that you can think of, who would fire and discriminate and close churches down for telling someone that they cannot make that change and be employed in a church. And so many times Satan will join what is going on through people. Many times he will distract you, and other times he will flat out oppose you. And if you want to read here in verse 6 with me, he begins to talk about um, what's going on here. In verse 6 it says, In the reign of Assyrius, in the beginning of his reign, they wrote an accusation against the inhabitants of Judah and Jerusalem. So they wrote this to the king and had it sent. And uh, if you go down here in verse 11, uh, because it just mentions a bunch of names, and we'll look at them uh, probably next week. I want to read this letter to you. To King Xerxes from your servants, the men of the region beyond the river, and so forth. Verse 12. Let it be known to the king that the Jews who came up from you have come to us at Jerusalem and are rebuilding the, the rebellious and evil city. And don't miss this. They're kind of honest about this. Israel had been a rebellious nation. Jeremiah told them, quit being rebellious, right? Quit being evil. And finishing its walls and repairing the foundation. Let it be known to the king that if this city is built and the walls completed, they will not pay taxes, tribute, or custom, and the king's treasury will be diminished. Now I'm going to stop there for a minute and this might offend you and it might not and I'm okay with either. Many times the mistakes of your past will still affect you in the future. The children of Israel were not trying to be rebellious here. They were not trying to be stubborn. They were not trying to be uh, unsupportive of their king but their past had come to roost. And I want to say this about churches. <laughs> there are some churches that have a reputation for spitting out pastors as fast as they hire them. Now that doesn't mean they're trying to fire the pastor they have now or even the pastor they had before. But after that reputation is given, it's hard to ever overcome it. It don't matter what mistake the pastor made or maybe he even should have been fired. But because of what they did in the past, it becomes what? what they're known for now. Maybe it's like this. Have you ever heard in your own mind or said to someone, well, I know that church, that's run by one family. Now that family might not even be a problem. They might be the best givers, the best servants. They might be the best friends the pastor ever had. But for whatever reason, they had done something in the past and that's what they are known for. And so I want you to know that tonight that you and I have to remember that God can change people. And God can change 
churches. Now, most of you don't know this or remember this, but some of you are, are old enough to remember this. And I think uh, uh, Gary's probably the only one that's been here long enough to, to, to remember this. But if you were to go back in 10 miles history, now it's not because they were ran off or fired. How long do you think the average pastor stayed from 1950 to 1984? About two and a half, three years. You can go back and see two and a half years, two and a half years, four years, two years, six months. No, uh, But in 84, Denny Steed stayed uh, right at 10 years. Then Mark Lee stayed right about seven years. Then there was a gentleman who stayed about six months. Then Brother John stayed 10 years. And I have stayed 10 years. And so in a 20-year window, uh, 10 Mile, thankfully, has not ran off a pastor. Okay? And so a whole generation has been raised up, no matter if people left because they should have or shouldn't have. But for the most part, it's not a place that runs off pastors. Now, most of you weren't here uh, back in the split, but the church actually supported their pastor. And so it gives this testimony to, hey, they're going to be gracious. They hired me with no experience, okay? And I have made lots of mistakes over the years. Many times I've had to apologize. But most times I talk to churches, I tell them that if I was your pastor, I'd have been fired a long time ago, right? Just because so many churches have such difficulties in loving each other. But that's not just churches that get reputations, that's people. And tonight I want you to know something, that this church should always welcome sinners when God sends them. That doesn't mean that we shouldn't be cautious, right? If you're on your 17th church in 12 years, there's probably a concern there, right? If you're on your fourth church in 40 years, that's not an issue, right? But we need to be weary of not, not grow weary of doing good and not to grow weary of extending mercy and grace to people because who they were does not have to define who they are. And so see here, it goes on. They use their reputation against them. But in verse 14, now we see flattery. Now because we receive support from the palace, it was not proper for us to see the king's dishonor. Now if you don't remember, they tried to join right in, didn't they? But once they got told no, then they turned and decided to accuse. Therefore we have sent and informed the king that search may be made in the book of the records of your fathers, and you will find in the book of records and know that this city is a rebellious city, harmful to kings and provinces, and that they have incited sedition within the city in former times, for which cause this city was destroyed. We inform the king that if this city is rebuilt and its walls are completed, the results will be that you will have no dominion beyond the river. They do what most people do. They are playing on the king's fears. The king's fear is always to lose power, to lose provinces, right? You've seen it throughout history, whether it was the Spanish Empire, the British Empire. Uh, when, when colonies start slipping away, it causes trouble. And this is the same king, though, that is in the book of Esther. It is. It's also got Mordecai doing the same thing back home. It is. And if you, uh, 
Um, so you will, you could actually, I've got it here uh, somewhere. But yes, this is the same king from the book of Esther. So you have it from in-house about the terrible Jews. You have a letter coming from Israel, the Jews. And so what happens is the children of Israel stop working for 16 years on the temple. You say, what do you mean? Why would you quit? Well, one, they were distracted. One, they were discouraged. One, they were commanded to, because look what it says here in verse 18. <clears throat> the letter which you sent to us has been clearly read before me. And I gave the command, and a search has been made, and it was found that this city in former times has revolted against kings, and rebellion and sedition have been fostered in it. There have also been mighty kings over Jerusalem who have ruled over all the region beyond the river, and tax, tribute, and custom were paid to them. Now give the command to make these men cease, that this city may not be built until the command is given to me, given by me. Take heed now that you do not fail to do this. Why should damage increase to the hurt of the kings? And so, look at verse 24. Thus the work on the house of God, which is at Jerusalem, ceased, and it was discontinued until the second year of the reign of Darius, king of Persia. And so uh, think about that. We're talking about a decade and a half time where the people knew their plan, knew what God wanted for them, had a purpose and a vision, but yet did not do what God had asked them to do. And so I want to just give you a couple thoughts and I want to read a couple verses to you again. Because Jesus gives the same warning to a group of people in the New Testament. In Matthew 16, verses 11 and 12, and so if you were here on Sunday night, you've heard these verses recently. How is it that you don't understand that I was not talking to you about bread? But be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Then they understood that he was not telling them to guard against the yeast used in bread but against the teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And so think about how Jesus dealt with the opposition of the Pharisees. Originally, they flocked to him, right? In the beginning, they flocked. They came out to see what he was doing and how he was teaching and how he was doing these miracles. Josh, you got a little one trying to get through the door. Um, and so that's how it started, right? They tried to join. And then as Jesus began to tell them, you are vipers, you are whitewashed tombs, you're wicked, right? You're, you're, you don't know what you're talking about. You are sinners. Then they began to what? Try to distract him. Jesus would go do miracles. He'd go work. He'd go move. And as in Matthew 16, after he had just healed and worked and moved, they said, show us a sign, right? They were trying to distract him. But then at the end of his earthly life, they were what? They were going to the Jewish leaders, and they took Jesus before the Roman leaders, right, to stop his ministry. And so that's how it always starts. People, even if they don't want to join you, they will start by trying to get more. Uh, what is the saying with honey? What is the saying? You get more what with honey? I can't hear you. Remember, I'm deaf and one. Right? You get more with honey, or right, what people want. And then that doesn't want it, they just distract you, right? They'll try to stop you, 
by distraction. And then when that does not work, it will become all out opposition. And uh, I, uh, I think that's important tonight because it's important for us as individuals. Absolutely. Because our walk with God starts as an individual relationship with Him. And distractions so many times are just the busyness of life. How many of us have woken up or woke, 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 woke up? Be like, oh man, I didn't read my Bible yesterday or today. Or man, I know I need to go to Wednesday night Bible study, but man, I tell you, you know, we've been gone all week and we just were tired and we're stressed out. And, you know, heaven forbid that we would miss an event other than church, right? Uh, your back aches on Sunday morning, church is optional, but if it still hurts on Monday, it is, I got to go. You see, when that begins to change, when we begin to move to a place, not just for a job, but we're going to move for a church and I'll find a job once I get there. When that becomes our mindset, when we know that God is working and moving in our life, I might not be able to stop and get my Starbucks coffee today, but I'm not going to give up my 12 minutes of reading my Bible this morning. The alarm didn't go off, but I might not shave this morning. You probably ought to shower, okay? But I, I might go a little scruffy this morning so that I can read the Word of God. Right? Those decisions that you make begin to pursue Him. But as a church, I want to speak to you tonight that as God continues to bless us, and I believe that He will, it is always the tendency of people to get distracted. As you know, at our January business meeting, we voted to start talking to an architect, an engineering firm, about improvements here at church. Uh, we formed a building committee. We have not voted to build yet. But I can tell you, and uh, Gary can speak to this, we had a three-hour meeting probably on Sunday, at least three hours, three or four hours. We walked the building, talked, disagreed, agreed, and you know, came to some decisions. We had met the Sunday before that for 45 minutes. And we will continue to meet with architects and contractors and all of those things to bring back to the church. But I don't want you to miss this. Buildings are not what please God. And so, well, you say, well, I don't like this part of a building or I don't like this part of a building. I don't like the fact that it was built in octagons. It's beautiful, but it's a pain now, let me tell you. And so why are we doing what we're doing? Well, one, we feel like we need a hallway so that we can secure our children's wing because the children that God gives us should be kept safe. You say, well, Jake, it doesn't matter. It's not going to happen. Things happen in the world that we live just the way it is. You say, well, Jake, I don't agree with more rooms for Sunday school. Well, that might be the case. But unless you all want to start volunteering to teach classes, um, the Lord keeps blessing us by studying His Word. So we're trying to find more places to put more people as they study the Word of God. And then we've talked about those things. It's not about the rooms. It's not about architecture. It's about people. And so when the building becomes about the building, then we will have problems. When it becomes about not making a difference in the lives of people, we've got distracted by a good thing, but it's not the best thing. And so tonight I really want to encourage you as a believer, as a spouse, as a parent, to don't let Satan distract you, to keep you from doing what God wants you to do. You say, well, what should they have done when they got the 
letter from the king. Well, that's a good point. One, some of you would say they should obey the king and stop building. Some of you would say God told them through the king to build it, they should have built it. And I don't know what's right or what's wrong, but either way they stopped. And it took 16 years for them to get back to what God had given them to do. And so tonight my challenge is for you is not to wake up and say, man, I wasted 10 years of my life chasing after things that didn't matter. I wasted 10 years of our marriage chasing after things that didn't matter. Man, I wasted 10 years I could have been serving the Lord and wasted it doing something else. Because sometimes it'll come from a friend. Sometimes it'll come as a distraction. Sometimes it'll come as an opposition. If the government was to come into our church tomorrow and say, Jake, you can no longer preach the gospel. You can't do it. You can't meet. It's not okay. What would we do? We'd just keep on... We'd, huh? Bail me out and keep on meeting. And this is going to be... A, this is maybe it's going to be a little controversial and that's okay. But they've tried to do that other ways. Sometimes it's in the manner of public safety. Sometimes it's in the manner of it's what's best for the group. But yet God told us that we are not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. Now there's nothing wrong if you have health problems, I believe, of being cautious, staying home, and watching online. I understand that. But if you think it honors God to skip church but go to Walmart, CVS, ball games, and everything else, you have lied to yourself. And Satan has used the distraction of all that's going on to take your focus off of Jesus. And so I just want to, you to know tonight that most of us will not be tripped up by opposition. Most of the time it won't even buy distractions. It'll buy people who come into our lives and things that come into our lives that seem like they are helpful, but yet are harmful. And so, thoughts tonight. I mean, I think the word of caution is to look at Europe, look at Canada, because that's what we Well, yeah, uh, I can't think of the, the preacher's name. It's been arrested multiple times now um, for preaching on the street and for uh, defying some of the just ridiculous mandates. And so, uh, I'm not opposed to you having the freedom to choose what you want to do, whether you want a shot or don't want a shot, whether you want to wear a mask or not wear a mask. I'm good with that. I'm not going to tell you it's the mark of the beast. I'm not going to tell you it's the mark of the beast. I'm just not, I'm not going to do that. But I'm going to tell you this, that it's a scary time when you can't work, and you can't worship, and you can't survive without obeying something like this. And so, uh, but yes, we've seen that, even not just COVID-related, but think about the um, situation in Denmark and in the other countries where they have been told, well, you can't preach against Islam, right? Uh, France, the teacher who was, uh, uh, was she shot? Or I'm trying to think how that teacher that died that was critical of the, uh, the Muhammad picture. Uh, uh, if you saw that on the news, probably, right? Well, why did that happen? Because churches and conservatives were told you cannot speak. Freedom of speech does not apply to you. And one day you wake up. And friends, it's coming in America if the Lord tarries. There's a lot of what we hear on Christian broadcast here 
absolutely. Uh, I think it was last Sunday, uh, Grace Community Church, John MacArthur's pastor had, uh, or no, it's this coming Sunday, is uh, having, uh, oh gosh, hanging out with seniors causes me to have senior moments. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, Wayne's been at my house working all week. It's rubbing off. Uh, <laughs> no, I'm sorry. Uh, but standing in sol solidarity with our Canadian uh, Christian brothers who, who have, have been limited on what they can preach about uh, homosexuality and gender and marriage and, and they're standing in solidarity that you know the Word of God can be preached and it should be preached and it's not the government's job to limit that. And so, but you will see that even in very liberal states that um, you can't say certain things, you can't do certain things in, in Illinois. If you were aware of the Capitol debacle, where if you have a nativity scene for a few weeks, then in the Capitol of Illinois, if you'd have been there, you'd have saw a little statue of who? A little Satan baby statue. So, uh, you know, it's all fun and games until one day you wake up and you've lost everything that God has given us in that sense. And so, um, but it usually doesn't come to that until we've already been asleep at the wheel too long. And so I want to encourage you to stay focused on Jesus in opposition. I want you to stay focused in opposition even when it's distractions. And I want you to be on guard when things come into your life that seem too good to be true because many times they are.